RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Oh, hey, hey, Friday. Welcome to Duffified Live. In the midst of the pandemic. In the midst of the pandemic. Like, who... Who out there at this point right now, you can tweet me or message me or, or do whatever you want to do. I really honestly want to know. And I think we'll, we'll keep it super organized. I think that you should message me on Twitter. No, don't message me. Send me a mess. Send me something on Twitter. Like tweet it out. Tweet it out is what I want to have. I want to know who is starting to resume their life in as much of a normal manner as they possibly can, or who is still like full blown hunkered down in their house, quarantine, not leaving grocery store once a week, full blown six feet away from people. I want to know. I do. So I want you guys to tell me that right off the bat. It has, uh, it's getting, it's getting a little overbearing is kind of where I am right now. I was just saying to Jerry that I'm sick and tired of looking at my house, Restaurant Depot, and the restaurant because those are the only three things that I've seen for the last eight weeks. And I know I'm complaining like there's people out there that are dying and people that are unable to leave their house or people that are – I get that. I get that. I'm not trying to to take away the severity of this for other people because because I kind of care about myself and my family right now. No offense to anybody else. I'm wearing my mask when I go out in public. I've got gloves on. I protect my what is, it, what is it that they say your mask is for me my mask is for you well that's how I feel I am feel as if I am taking care of me and you I'm wearing the mask the whole nine yards do you know that I had three masks on the other day I had a like a face sock that was around my neck and then I had a bandana that was around my neck. And then I had one of those like surgical masks as well that was hanging off of my ear. And I, and I, and I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I just didn't know what to do. There were just masks everywhere. And I've probably spent 300 plus dollars on masks because I bought masks for everybody in the restaurant. So everybody in the restaurant has a mask. I, I was I was going to leave masks at the front door for the restaurant, but I realized that 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 was just going to cost me a fortune because everybody who walked in the front door would then take a mask like it's just the nature of it. But walk in mask on. That's kind of the the world that we live in. You've got to have a mask on no matter how cold it is right now. We're leaving front door open and then leaving the front door open is because I don't want people touching the handles. And the reason why I don't want people touching the handles is because I got sick and fucking tired of wiping the handles off every time somebody left the front door. So I, so I, I stopped that and now I just leave that open. Now I did buy an air curtain for the front door, which I'm going to put the air curtain on uh, as soon as I'm done talking to you guys today, air curtain goes on. But we have some other pretty big issues that we've got to worry about going on for the next couple of weeks, and that's really coming down to the supply chain and where we stand. So uh, I, I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but so my, my business is barbecue right now. Okay, I got rid of my partnerships with other people. I stopped talking to other people. I kind of slowed down my consulting business so that I can really focus during this time frame on the restaurant, the podcast, and my children. Okay, so now with that being said, I started to talk to my purveyors and my purveyors were um, two pretty major, not pretty major, two of the largest food service companies in the country. Uh, one of them went full-blown COD, raised their prices, okay, 
and uh, like from $36 to 44 on a case of French fries. Okay. So now with, with that, I started to talk to another food service company and I'm not, I, I don't do the personal guarantees. It's just not something that I do. So, you know, they were, we're going with the credit card, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. We do all that stuff. But the problem is, is that their prices are more expensive than I'm paying if I were to go to Restaurant Depot to pick up a lot of my products. Now, with that being said, a lot of people see Restaurant Depot as a lower quality. They don't see it as as the same high quality that you would get from a U.S. A Cisco, a Chef's Warehouse, GFS, you know, PFG. But in reality, you really are. Like the ribs that I get from Restaurant Depot are a seaboard three and a quarter down prairie fresh ribeye, which is an all natural or rib. I'm sorry, not ribeye. It's a pork rib, a, a St. Louis rib. And that's the rib that I use in the restaurant. So you're getting a three and a quarter down rib. It's super consistent. It's got a low fat ratio. It cooks up unbelievably well. And all these douchebags that are on, uh, I had somebody the other day, oh, the ribs were fatty. You're full of shit. There's no fucking way that the ribs were fatty because the rib that I select is a not fatty rib. Okay. But anyway, I, 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 I kind of I'm going out of out of where I need to be. That's my phone that's ringing. I'm, I'm going off track here. What I'm getting to is that it, it became it made more sense financially for me to go to Restaurant Depot, pick up the ribs, pay less prices. I'm paying COD anyway for it because of the fact that I have to pay for those ribs at that point. Now I'm super crazy about my business and the credit cards and all that stuff. I pay my credit cards off every week. Like I run the business pretty, pretty tight. Okay. But what we're finding now is that they can't get the product. And I mean, by they, I mean, everybody, I mean, purveyors. I mean, Restaurant Depot. I mean, all these guys are having a really hard time getting the product in. So what has happened is we now have to pivot again. I'm sorry, Naomi, for using the word pivot. Nobody knows who Naomi is. She's a friend of mine who owns a property out in uh, in Idaho and in uh, eastern Washington. And we had a long conversation last night about pivoting and how it's all we do right now is pivot. And we're sick and tired of using the word pivot because that's what we do. I mean, when you talk about the fact that we as restaurateurs and, and hustlers at this point, I'm, I'm basically just calling us hustlers. We don't know what direction to go. We're, we're you know, how, how am I budgeting for what what it is that's going to happen today. You know, I, I budget across the week. Okay. I assume for this week, we're going to do X amount of dollars in sales. Okay. And then day one comes along like last Wednesday night where we had, uh, you know, typically the week that we did before was about, about 75 to 100% more in sales than what I did this same exact day of the week, the week after. So it's like, how am I now scheduling budgeting? Because we can't schedule budget for something that we really just don't know what's going to happen. So it's kind of weird of how we're doing things. We're, we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants. We're shooting blindly um, in a lot of this. There are a lot of ways to kind of track it. But really, how do you know? You, you have no idea. I mean, Wednesday night was kind of a weird night because we hardly did any sales in the restaurant. And then Thursday it was cold as shit. It was rainy. It was kind of crappy out, but I had a huge, almost record breaking night. So it just doesn't make sense at all, but we're adapting. We're moving into the, the way that it's supposed to be. We're, we're trying to do that. Oh my God, this phone never stops. So that's my watch that vibrates whenever my phone rings. Um, so, so that's kind of where we are. Like, I don't know. You know, the, the, the big problem that I'm having right now is the fact that I don't know where I'm getting ribs from this week. I don't know where I'm getting my brisket from because my brisket went from four eleven a pound all the way up to $7. So it's like $7. I've got a super high um, yield loss that happens when we do that brisket, which brings the brisket up to, in some cases, sometimes at $7 a pound, upwards of $8.50, $9.50 a pound. Well, you do that and the math of that 
And it's really fucking hard to do because you're trying to run a quality percentage of a food cost. And now you're having to raise your prices. I mean, think about it. If my ribs just went up a dollar a pound, that means that my ribs went up three dollars, three dollars per rack. So now I'm at that ten dollar mark, which means that just on a basic 30 percent food cost, I would have to sell that rib at thirty dollars a rack. Well, there's a point where you're like your guests are going, you know, I just I can't justify paying $30 a rack for ribs. So so we're going to be making a lot of pivots. We're going to be doing some stuff. I bought some bulk stuff. I actually bought an extra freezer so that I can hold this product in house so that I can start to at least try to prepare for the next couple of weeks um, to hold my ribs. Ribs freeze really well. The briskets don't freeze as well. So we're going to be playing around and trying to find some new product to work with. And I'll let you guys kind of know what happens with that. But if anybody's out there, and I know there's a bunch of you out there because you guys subscribe to this, I would really like to know how many of you that are in the industry, what pivots have you made in regards to the pricing that's happening? You know, like I'm going away from brisket, but I bought a hanging tender. So I'm doing these hanging tenders that I'm cure that I'm I'm brining and or I'm 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 seasoning and I'm smoking and then I'm holding them in smoked brisket fat. So like we're doing almost a confit on this so that we are able to provide a product that is similar to a brisket. It's not a brisket, but it is similar to a brisket so that my guests can kind of play. Now, it costs me less money per pound, so I'm actually charging less than I would if I were doing the brisket for anybody who's ordered that orders this. But I want to know what you guys are doing. What are you guys thinking about the supply chain of what's happening? What's going on in the grocery store right now? I mean, I see a lot of poultry out there, but I don't see a lot of beef and pork um, that are on the shelves. And if I do see it, it's small amounts. Whereas before you'd see six or eight trays of, uh, you know, of pork chops. Now you're seeing two of them that are getting laid out there. So I think, you know, I want to know what you guys are finding in that way. And then on the other end of it, if you're in the industry, like what's happening with the marketing, how are you guys doing this right now? Like I'm super impressed with the POS company that I use. Okay. Which is a Heartland POS system. Anybody of you guys out there with payroll and all the other stuff, they do our payroll as well. But Heartland has a POS system that I just, I fucking love. You know, they're adapting with so much of this so fast. And I really think that anybody who's out there, you guys should contact your POS companies and find out what they're doing during this time to make it easier. Like, my POS company just said yesterday, hey, we now have a QR code that we're going to be able to put on the bottom of your checks so that when your guest gets the check, all they have to do is scan it with their phone and it will pay it for them. So now my guests are able to pull up to the front of the restaurant. We're able to put their food out on a table so that they can grab that food, put it in their car, get that check and swipe it or, and then just scan it and pay it. So we're eliminating that inside space. Now for me, I actually really enjoy the to-go portion of this. I love the fast pace that it happens. I love the organization that comes with it and the way that we do it, where we have parking spots in the restaurants, which are all of our tables are lined up against the perimeter of the restaurant. And we have lanes that have been set in there through tape. I just took masking tape and ran it down 12 inches apart, all the way down all of the tables, so that when an order comes in, I take the order, we assign a ticket number to it. We print that check. We take that check and that table number and we put it over on a blank table. Okay, so that's one table where all of the checks go. If you go to my Instagram page, you can see kind of what I'm talking about with it. So then my cooks, when they get their food, they get their order, they place the order in the window. My runner then takes that check. They do a double check on it. We have a two check system on the check. So you look at it. One other person looks at it to make sure it's right and it's there. We check off each item on the check. 
We then attach a handwritten thank you note to the front of that check. We attach a menu. We attach a business card. And then we attach the check itself that they paid. And we take the bags, paper bags. We put the paper bags into a plastic recycling bag, which, by the way, I'm fucking getting rid of because I dropped two orders the other night carrying it out to cars in these shitty recycled paper or plastic bags. But that's I digress again. So our system works really, really well. If you're a guest, you – oh, I'm sorry. So then what happens is our runners walk over to the blank table. They pick up the check number and the check. They then bring it over to a parking space. They put the food down in that lane. We put the check in front of it and we put the uh, the tabletop on top of it. So you as guest Jerry say – walks in and says, hey, my name's Jerry. I'm here to pick up my food. And I say, oh, Jerry, you ordered blah, 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 blah. He agrees and says yes, and I say, sir, your food is in parking space number 77, okay? He picks up his food, he looks at his check, and then he turns around and walks out the front door. Not a bad system. It works really well for us. The problems that we have right now are, the other night, I had three Anthonys that came in. Three Anthonys. Two of them got the wrong food. Okay, little problem there with the way that that works. Both of them super understanding. One guy actually drove back. The other guy, I put his food in my car and I drove it out to him. But the problem with that is now we have a loss. Now I made the same exact meals two times. So I stressed my kitchen out. Plus my cost went up because of that, because now I'm like, hey, I need this check again on the fly. So there's a lot of like weird things that go with that. But what we're doing is we're pivoting on a daily basis. We're making adjustments, which is what we do in the industry to make things work super smooth. And I'm not going to lie. I hate this fucking pandemic. I hate the fact that we all have to wear masks. I hate the fact that I can't see my friends. I hate the fact that I can't travel. But I love the fact that I get to be inside of my business, inside of the four walls, spending the time with my employees that I want to do. I get to go home at the end of the day and see my girls, see my family, spend the time with them that I really look forward to. And then I lay in bed and typically fall asleep with the TV on and the lights on. And I have to tell Alexa to turn that shit off at three o'clock in the morning. But what we're getting at is we're adapting on a daily basis. So I'm going to try to share some more of the things that we do through the adapting that we're doing within the restaurant. Um, you know, we changed some of the lighting. We changed some of the locations that we have things. We now have all of our sauces that are up front so that our guests can see them. The problem that we have with that is now you've got douchebag McGee who comes in the front door with one motherfucking rack of ribs and he takes 10 ounces of sauce home with him. So we had to make an adjustment to that. Two sauces, you know, four ounces of sauce per rib, and then we charge you 50 cents for each one additional. If you'd like to buy a quart or a pint of sauce, they're respectively 7 and $14. You can buy all of that. Again, we make all that shit in the house, so it's a lot of fun to get done. But – the big key component here is that we're constantly adapting. We're learning new things every day because you know what? A lot of restaurants are going to be to go for a long period of time. And a lot of us are actually really benefiting from the to go portion of it if you're doing it the right way. Like for us, I can't – I kind of – I'm a, I'm a humble dude in certain ways, and I really want to support the industry as much as I can. So we feed hospitality for free. We feed hospital workers every week, you know, to kind of balance out the fact that we are the only place that's open. We are the only restaurant, you know, in our area that's doing barbecue. And I want to make sure that everybody feels the love. So that's kind of what we got going on there. So with the love part being said... I love my next guest. I love this guy who's coming up in just a couple minutes. Talk about pivoting. This guy had to close all of his restaurants. And then you know what he did? He sued the insurance company because they were like, well, we're not paying you because it's a pandemic. Like that's fucked up. Why do you have insurance if they're not going to pay for anything? That's one of our big problems. You want to talk about all the downfalls? That motherfucker right there is a downfall. So. Boys and girls, I know you know who this guy is because you guys are all big TV fans. You know that he's a buddy of mine because I've talked about him in the past. We've done events together. We have done fun things together. So, boys and girls, do me a favor and welcome to the show, Chef Brian Malarkey. 
morning, Mr. Bob. Good morning. Here we go. Love it. I'm glad we got you on. West Coast. Yeah. Uh, It's early out there, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, well, there's no time during pandemics. And you know that? It was one of the first things you got rid of. Time and date. I know. I know. That is true. We really don't. I don't. All I know, like, because now I'm still working. So I'm still working like my normal restaurant five days a week. And then I record usually on Tuesday. Monday's like I squeeze every single thing that I can in on Monday. I don't feel that I've been in a pandemic because I haven't stopped. Yeah. So you guys doing a big takeout menu? So I'm in my place is a barbecue spot. So we're one of the only barbecue yeah. spots in yeah. the area. Right? So it's like that's a constant. I mean, we're... You know, I'm in. Um, I start smoking at six a.m. We sell out almost yeah. every day. So. Well, I I start smoking at six a.m. But that's because I'm unemployed right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> Different style of smoking. Uh, yeah. Your beginning yeah. is my ending. So I get <laughs> yeah. it. I do. There I get go. it all. So what are? Hey, Brian, let's do this real quick though. Let everybody know uh, who you are, what you do, and how they can get in contact with you. Uh, Brian Malarkey, chef, restaurateur, San Diego, California, currently on Top Chef, All-Stars on Bravo. Um, restaurants, I just unfortunately closed 10 restaurants uh, eight weeks ago. Uh, I don't have anything doing takeout. It's not really us. We're kind of fine dining night restaurants or campus restaurants. But nobody's on the campuses. So uh, currently uh, raising some money for my team that's unemployed right now or on furlough uh, by doing some online cooking classes for corporate events, uh, general public, um, and just getting to spend more time with my kids than I ever really wanted to. No, I, I love them. <laughs> uh, but you can get a hold of me at, a, uh, at, a, at uh, Brian Malarkey on Instagram and Brian Malarkey on uh, web page and see what's going on with all of our stuff. Cool, man. So when did you, so how many employees do you guys have? We furloughed 380 employees. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Dude, that had to hurt. It hurt all everything. Well, at first you thought it might just be a couple of weeks and we figure it all out. Right. Um, but just the part now we're two months into it and, you know, now you're really kind of thinking about the damage being done to all the the places. Like we already we run so cash lean, you know, um, that you're just really hoping the reserves work. We got the PPP loans, but they don't work for our industry. Yeah. Um, I don't want to hire everybody back to do nothing, you know. Sure, exactly. Um, I want. I think the PPP loan should actually kick in from day one when the government says you can open your restaurant back to normal you know, yeah. without spacing and stuff like that. And then the loans would be great. And I'd love to hire all my people back. But right now they're actually making um, more money on unemployment than a lot of them were actually working for me. Yeah. So they don't want to come back and be in a volatile situation, a risky situation and make less money. You know? When I've talked, you know, I talked to servers and I mean, this shows pretty much about hospitality and, and chefs and culinary and the whole nine yards. But, and I talk to a lot of servers. I mean, you as a chef know when you go out or when you, it's just what we do is we just talk to the industry a lot of time. And a lot of people that I'm talking to are like, I'm not actually coming back to the industry. Like, yeah, I, You know, we got true. fucked for two months straight. I don't want to go back into the industry because if they're saying that it's going to, we're going to have, you know, a resurgence of it. What am I, I'm going to be laid off again in a couple of weeks. So people are scared. Yeah. But you know what? It's not just our industry. <laughs> There's oh, a yeah. lot of people that are with us, you know? I mean, retail is completely shut down. Uh, tourism markets are completely shut down. You know, the whole hospitality from hotels to everything. So, I mean, the people who are in our industry, for the most part, are kind of the, the mavericks of it a little bit, you know? Uh, you know, maybe they're a great school, but most likely probably not, um, you know, but more people that were really into just hospitality, taking care of people and didn't want to buy into that nine to five kind of job, you know, right, uh, right. Didn't want to do that structured job, but more free spirited, you know? So those, those, a lot of those industries are the ones that are being affected. And, yeah. um, you know, as we'd all really grounded out and, Worked in the, the, you know, the internet scope more. <laughs> I think we'd probably be a little safer. All my friends that have jobs, 
uh, that have something to do with online are killing it right now. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, it's crazy. Takeout, I, think it's, I don't think it's the end. I don't think it's a big... I don't think we should flee from our industry. I think we should just be adaptable. You know, when you think about like your barbecue restaurant, that works really well for this segment. You know, right. we're kind of thinking about more counter service, you know, more to go food. And, um, you know, you can certainly do it with a, a lot less labor, which is not fun because my favorite part is the big bar and lots of people and sharing memories and toasting and laughing and, you know, having fun. Um, and that will come back. Uh, but uh, not right away. So it's kind of like adapting right now. And as long as your landlords are willing to work with you and adjust your rent, um, I think we can get through this. Uh, I think it'll work up a percentage. But uh, a good friend of mine, Chef Stephen Brown, who just got nominated for the Beard Award in the Midwest out of Minnesota, he called me the other day and said, you know what, Marky, if we survive this, he said, we have a lot of a lot of gold on the other side. And I said, what do you mean? He said, in 1918, the Spanish flu turned the world upside down, right? Closed it all up. They had social distancing back there. Everyone was scared to go out. And that was really devastating as far as, like, you know, uh, fatality counts. And he said, but you know what? After about a year, things sort of calmed down. People started to, like, relax a little bit. Within a year and a half, he said it was the roaring 20s. Exactly. The biggest plant the biggest party on the planet. And exactly. People were tired of it, and they went out and they had fun. And he said, "We got Roaring Twenties Part Two coming yeah. on strong." I agree. I think that that's you know. I mean, if you think about that kind of weird world, and I, you're you're younger than I am, but I think you know you're running through like we had that wild '80s period, that '90s, that crazy kind of millennium world. Everything kind of ramped up. You know, every next thing you know, you know, DUI rates are going through the roof in 80s and 90s. And then we have Uber that shows up and it's like things start dropping down. People start partying again. It's these crazy ebb and flows that we watch through the industry. But he's absolutely right. People are going to get tired of just the the status quo of being home, staying away from people. And it's going to explode. It's going to be a blast. And we have Um, more money and we have better technology for some of the shit that we're doing. I think it's kind of fun. It's going to be fun. We're going we're gonna to get through this, and, you know, I, I have uh, a friend out here that caters to a very young clientele, like maybe like 20s, you know, kind of the bar, nightclub things. Yeah. And he was telling me the other day, he goes, Malarkey, if I opened up tomorrow, I'd be packed. Because, yeah. You know what? They're not, they they're not, they're not scared. They're not getting it. Yeah. Nope. They don't give a shit. I mean, I saw my and daughter so- went to school in Florida. She was a freshman in, at Jacksonville University. And, you know, up to three days before I went down to pick her up, she's like, we're heading to the beach. We're all going out. I know. I saw the pictures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I exactly. Daughter, of course. I, mean, I was like, much. what the fuck? But no, I mean, she was fully on it. I mean, I left Florida because it was I was down there on 14, 15, 16 and 17. And I flew home on the yeah. 17th. And Florida was like, you know, I mean, they're they're basically sharing drinks and hugging each other while they're standing in line at the airport. Yeah. You know, I'm a Northeast guy. I was scared shitless walking through the airport that day because of everything that they were saying. Um, yeah, so it's just it's 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 really kind of coming down to how much risk you want to take. Before this came out, we knew that when we were out and about, we could catch a flu, we could catch a cold, we could right. have to get by a car, you know, I get you know assaulted, you know. And so I think as we're kind of watching this, that I think we've been responsible. I mean, I know most people in my community, in my surrounding area, we've, we've, we've tried to flatten the curve and we're all staying home, be very responsible. Um, but it's going to come down to, you know, if there's no end in sight, and it doesn't seem to be an end in sight, you know, it's going to be people just going, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah, I agree. And if you're, at a high, if you're a high-risk individual, and you should be extremely responsible and, you know, take care of yourself. And they just opened the beaches here in San Diego. And just to go down there and see people laugh and play in the beach and my kids get to see their friends from a distance. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, it's so nice to see some real life. In there, you know? And I think, like, I feel like despite everything else, I think I really feel 
for the kids. I mean, my girls are 19 and 16. You know, my 19 year old was ripped out of her freshman year of college, brought home, sat in front of a computer, now has to take online classes, you know, trying to continue the relationships with the friends that she had. And my 16 year old is a you know, she rose on the crew team at, at high school and she's a very yeah. social kid, you know, and these kids have not seen each other. You know, I mean, they're yeah, not, nobody's hanging probably out. probably roughest on that age bracket. Yeah. That is a really coming of age time where it's really your friends and getting the experience life. You know, a lot of the first things in life are coming at that time. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what age because it doesn't affect too much. I have two nine-year-olds and an 11-year-old and they think they're on the best vacation ever. I know, dude, it's got to be awesome. <laughs> But you guys are a fun family, though. I mean, you guys are doing, I mean, I, you know, I, I, and again, I'm only seeing a lot of it through the stuff that you're posting and the stuff that your wife does. But, but it's, you know, I mean, you guys are a fun family. You know, you're doing cool shit. You're having a good time. And, and seriously, when was the last time as a chef you got to hang out with your kids for, for this long? It's, it, it is fun. It is fun. I'm going to tell you this two month experiment has been, it has been very eye opening and there has been a lot of really good things that come out of it. Like, you know, I've really got to know my children, you know, for the good and the bad and really got to make some adjustments in their life and my life. You know, I really kind of reflected on how little I was at home, how many dinners I was not here. Yeah, you know, crazy. I'd pay good money to take a dinner away right now, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it, it's good, and it kind of – we needed a little reset. And you also focus more on your community during this time. Totally. You know, you're buying from the local farm. You're buying from the local seafood fisherman, you know, because you know that you need to help him out because he's directly reflected on your local economy. So it's kind of nice to really reflect locally. Like, who's on your block? <laughs> like, your direct sure neighbors. You're, you're actually getting to know them. And you actually care to know them because you haven't been talking to anybody else. So you're like, yeah. if you're in the middle of the street talking to somebody from your social distance, you're, you're listening for the first time in a long time, you know? Yeah. Well, and I've been doing, I mean, I was, you know, I was out front in my, in my yard yesterday trying to trim it up. It looked pretty bad. I got a forest growing out there. And uh, then my neighbor comes out and she's asking me questions of, you know, how she can trim her hedges. Next thing you know, I'm, you know, running an extension cord at her house. I'm, you know, trimming her hedges and mowing her lawn. Uh, you know, I mean, it's yeah. like we're all kind of having a little bit of fun. And you're absolutely right. We're kind of getting to know each other again. When before we walk out of the house, we look at our phones, we get into our car, we drive away. You know, I mean, there's really no interaction. And, and now we're, we're engaging more from even though it is from a distance. Yep. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's unique, you know, um, there are, like I said, there are good things that come out of it and gosh, I've got the cleanest garage ever right now. <laughs> We're going through a closet, you know, yeah. and then some days you start drinking cocktails early. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So now let's talk about you. So where did you kind of, where, where did you grow? where did you get your beginning with this whole thing? Um, I, I grew up on a ranch in Oregon, Central Oregon, Bend, Oregon, and, uh, you know, kind of an old story, single, single mom, two boys, uh, wow. my older brother and her would do a lot of ranching, you know, taking out the horses, the cattle, the mending the fences and changing irrigation pipes. And, um, I actually started kind of cooking dinner and stuff for them while they're out doing all the chores. Really? Um, you know, yeah, just simple grilling of steaks and cooking rice and pasta and stuff like that. But um, my father, on the other hand, he lived in uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, he was just a carnivore of all carnivores. If he wasn't making a roast of something every single night, just beef, <laughs> beef, pork, lamb, beef, pork, lamb. Um, so he was always cooking up large uh, portions of meat. And then we were spending summers at the Oregon coast with lots of seafood. So for me, food was always just something I really enjoyed and I really kind of like the idea that it really brought people together. Right. Um, I really enjoyed it. And then as I got older in high school, I realized that, you know, when I was younger, that my pet cow was becoming our dinner every year, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, so as a rebel, you know, to rebel against my parents, I would uh, steal all the, the best cuts of beef, you know, the old T-bones and the, the fillets, and I would go to my friend's house and cook up all these big steaks and stuff like that. Oh, God. Uh, 
And I was like, oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what's going down here? Yeah, let me take this. And so I started entertaining my friends, even in high school, with big, you know, cook-offs. And, um, and then it was down in, when I kind of flunked out of college a few times. I was down in uh, Santa Barbara City College, and I thought I was going to be an actor. And I was in this local play, this local production, and my dad had flown down to watch. After the play, come here and sit down. He goes, hey, I got to be honest with you. He said, you might be the worst actor I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, why don't you do what you love? And I was like, yeah, Dad, what is that? What is that? He goes, you've been doing it your whole life. He said, last night, you had all your friends over and you made burgers for everybody. He said, all you do is cook and drink with all your friends. I was like, you can make a living doing this, Dad? I was so excited. I was like, wow. Like, he, So he got me enrolled in the uh, Cordon Blue up in Portland, Oregon. Wow. Um, so I went up and, you know, I did culinary school with the paper hats and the cravats and the house oh, yeah. pants. And, and I hated it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Stand is, you know, making dishes that were, you know, 80 to 100 years old and gelatins and all this. So I still wasn't falling in love with it. Um, but uh, I went and did an externship at um, Michelle Richard's Citrus in Los Angeles. A friend of mine that I met for college school, he's like, hey, if you have to go work for free for six weeks, you might as well go to a really great restaurant. Right. Yeah. I went in there and it was a large yard um, and uh, Michelle Richard. And this kitchen was the hottest kitchen in uh, L.A. at the time. Big glass window. And from the moment I walked in there, it, it just glowed to me. I love the teamwork. I love yeah. the art on the plate. I love the process. I love the hard, long hours. I love that all the celebrities were looking in the glass windows to see the, who was cooking in the kitchen. Um, you know, even Julia Childs came in a few times and spent the afternoon oh, wow. with us. I mean, it, it was crazy. Robin Leach was there. Lifestyles of the rich and famous top 10 restaurants in the country. <laughs> so I, I spent a couple of years there and that really captivated me and I've never looked back. That's pretty cool, man. That's fun. And then, so when did you, so when you did your, after your externship, I mean, where did you, where did you move on to? Did you go right into a leadership role? Did you go into uh, a learning you know, role? In two years, I went from bottom of the barrel turning, you know, nine cases of artichokes every morning in a back kitchen uh, to uh, roundsman. It was just uh, only the sous chefs were in front of me. So I got every station. Uh, I came in early and stayed late. And that's where I got the name of my, my cookbooks. Uh, come early, stay late. And uh, I, I learned how to do everything. Those were in the good old days where they paid you for 40 hours and they worked you as much as they wanted to. Right. You know, and then you got a beer, you got a beer at lunchtime. Uh, it was pretty lawless. Yeah, um, it was. How old are you? And I, I, and I thought the hostesses were there just to actually do my personal entertainment. <laughs> um, or the day bartender who was always my favorite. Yes. I'm uh, 47. Okay. So. so you're, yeah, we're the same age. So we're right in that same, in that same kind of realm and growing up. Cause I mean, I graduated culinary school in 94. Yeah. I'm probably somewhere uh, close to that too. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, and it was, I mean, I did my stuff at the four seasons, Tony Clark throwing shallots at the back of my head. That's not any shallot. That's a four season shallot. Yeah. I was dodging spoons. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird, and it's funny to see the the progression of where we went at that point to what is happening in schools and kitchens now, you know, I mean, that formal nature, you know, that constant, that damn toque, that cravat, that, you know, um, all the way down to, you know, now it's dishwasher jackets and, and clogs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which has been kind of uh, fun. And, 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 and don't you dare throw anything at anybody. <laughs> no. Oh, my. You can't even throw a look. A you look sets a look, it off. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a whole different world. Did you see what he did to me? Did you see how he looked at me in front of other people? I need, yeah. I'm taking a couple of days off. Chef, I'm not going. Wow. Gonna, yeah. It has. Yeah, it has changed. Yeah. And I've got a really young kitchen. You know, my kitchen is, is, is two culinary students and, and, you know, a 15 year old dishwasher who works the appropriate amount of hours a week, just so everybody knows. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, um, yeah, certainly has changed. It's, uh, very, uh, very, uh, HR driven. Yeah, completely. Uh, So how did you get into the point of, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the whole TV world comes around and for us, we were into it for a couple of years. I mean, I know I, uh, the first experience, like the first TV person that I met was Emeril 
doing an event in Philly that he wasn't actually allowed to cook because it wasn't a Food Network sponsored event. Oh. Yeah. How weird is that? So he actually just stood up on stage and talked. So that was yeah. probably 95, 96. Yep. And it took a little while for it to grow. So when, where, where did you kind of fall into that play? Um, well, so then I kind of, uh, I hopped around a little bit. I went and helped my uncle out with a project. He was actually a race horse photographer. He had contracts with all these tracks across the country. Wow. And I've been in LA for a couple of years, living a little bit too hot, too fast. And, uh, he said, Hey, you want to come work for me for the summer out in Minneapolis? And I, you know, I, I got a, he set me up. I, I did the, you know, if you go to the horse races, you get the picture of your horse crossing the finish line first, you're in the winter circle. Yeah. And he, he does all those action shots and stuff like that. So he, he I was oh, like, awesome. 23, I was like 23, 24 years old in Minneapolis with a secretary, my own dark room, running this business, hanging out with the jockeys, having so much fun. Um, and I made, I made more money in one summer than I made like two years in LA. Right. Um, so I, I started doing that for a while. I eventually bought the contract off of them, started working for my friend, Stephen Brown, uh, who like I said, just got nominated for the James Beard Award, uh, in Minneapolis. He's the one that said the war in twenties are coming back. So I'd worked during a week in restaurants out there and then work, um, on the weekends at the track and eventually moved out there and bought a place and met my wife. And when I met my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she said, what are you doing in the Midwest? You're from the West coast. Let's get the hell out of here. So we moved up to Seattle for a time, worked with the group and then moved to San Diego and we're working for the seafood restaurant called the ocean air. Oh, and, yeah. you know, and the food network was just huge and blowing up. And I really wanted to be on this show the next celebrity food network star. Yeah. There you go. And, uh, and so we sent the audition tape and they flew, flew me to New York and they, they said, yeah, we'd love you. Let's have a, a live interview. And the live interview was Bobby Flay and I, and I had a cook in front of a panel of people and I got so nervous. I completely blew it. Just blew yeah. it. Right. I got nervous. I was sweating. I was like, Oh, couldn't cook, couldn't do anything. So I flew home. I was like, well, maybe TV is just not my thing. I'll just keep working. Uh, I actually won Chef of the Year in San Diego that year. So I was feeling good about the restaurant of that. And um, but it was a big charity event, you know, the Liver Foundation charity event. And it was like 20 chefs. You each got your own tent top. You had to take in your own plates, your own servers, all your own food, your own menu. You cooked out back at the hotel. It was a uh, you know, big charity event, and people uh, paid for these beautiful tables. But uh, the chef of this hotel, uh, a few weeks earlier, had come to my restaurant and had a few too many pops and started telling me that he was going to beat me uh, and beat me at this dinner. I was like, it's a competition? He goes, yeah. <laughs> like, my dinner is going to be better than yours. And I was like, right. what? So I'm kind of competitive. So I was like, well, yeah, watch this. So we made the biggest, like, flower thing ever like 10 feet tall and branches and all this all my servers were in costumes i had marie antoinette i had court gestures oh, i God. may have uh, had some girls who were capable of breathing fire um my i had the biggest planners i could find and i would they'd read from scrolls the whole time everyone's looking at my table going what the hell is this i had a giant lion's head i got it from a costume shop Right? I mean, we were out there. This dinner party's going crazy. And everybody in that room wanted to be at my table, right? Dude, those well, first off, uh, I want to stop for one second. Those were fucking events. Because they they don't do yeah. events like that anymore. They're all no. cookie-cutter stamp. Those were awesome fucking events. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, when you went all in, right? Yeah. And so, uh, and so he comes up to me and goes, Melissa, I heard you have fire breathers. And he said, if you fucking light anything in my ballroom on fire, I'll throw you out of this restaurant. And I said, I thought it was a competition, brah. <laughs> like, yeah. And so my girls didn't breathe fire, but they had these big fire fingers, right? Right. And so at the end of it, the, the uh, Ocean Air was famous for its baked Alaska, this big flaming dessert. Well, I'd gone to Home Depot the day before and got a street cone, right? Nice, clean street cone, stuffed it full of ice cream, refroze it, meringued it. So I had about a two and a half foot tall baked Alaska. And oh, at the end of it, it. I was like, Whatever, right? I had a couple spotters and some buckets just in case shit went wrong. But right. I lit that thing up so big, and these these girls had these big fingers of fire, and it was just the whole room went crazy. And the oh, security yeah. guard 
the security guards poured in from every entrance, and I, like in an old movie, got grabbed and thrown out into the loading dock, I yelling, know. don't you ever come back here. And as I was getting escorted from the ballroom, the whole place is applauding, right? right? Going crazy. And, uh, and to this day, I'm still not allowed in that hotel. Um, and so funny, uh, the local food reporter wrote a little article about it in the newspaper, malarkey thrown out of the ballroom for lighting the ballroom on fire, you know, kind of almost a funny story. And a couple of days later, a producer from Top Chef called and they said, are you the guy oh, that cool. lit the ballroom on fire? And I was like, yeah, they go, want to be our Top Chef? <laughs> That's and, uh, yeah, so I didn't even uh, audition for that one. I just got thrown in on season three of Top Chef and had a really great run and made it to the finals and opened the doors for a lot of things. Well, we've got a, we've got a mutual friend in Jen Carroll. Oh, yes. Love her. Yeah. Jen's awesome. She was on last week, actually. Last week, week before. I don't even know what month it is. Yeah, um, she, uh, we were just locked up in a house together for a while. So. I think, you know, and, and I think it's one of the reasons why I like what you do in, in, in what it is you do. You're a great chef. You, you prepare great food, but you're also a showman. You know, I mean, you want to give the guest what it is that they want. I think it's one of the reasons why, because we met really through GE a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, but it's, you know, and I'm the same, like, that's the love. Like, we're, yeah, we're chefs and we cook and we put food in front of you. But to be able to prepare it and present it in a manner uh, which is which is beyond enticing, you know. Yeah. I mean, because you, you're demo. I mean, like, I watched you this year when, you, when we were in Vegas. And you're like, fuck the mic. Like, I, I'm a pizza guy now. I'm not even doing a demonstration. I'm literally just a pizza guy at this point. You know? Yeah, we. That's a fun show. I have so much. They fun. are. <laughs> They're totally fun. I mean, and I try to do. I mean, I, I do. Uh, I, I, I. Whenever I do those demonstrations, I'm always one trying to be super educational, but at the same time, I'm super sarcastic. Like, you know, oh, please, can I have that without? You know, can I have it without the the chicken on top? And I'm like, well, what do you want? McDonald's is around the corner. You know, like yeah. that sarcastic nature and bringing people in to have fun. And that's that's the whole fun of it. It's it, it's a it's a break in the monotony for some of the stuff that we get to do. And it's a blast. It's so much fun. And, yeah, you have an amazing stage show and I love it. And uh, it, not not many chefs. Most of the time, there's a, a time in life where, you know, young people are going, oh, I'm going to get a job at a restaurant. Right. You decide, are you the extrovert and you want to go uh, talk to all the guests and, you know, be bullied by some and be talked down to, you know, talked down to by some, you'll make more money. Uh, right. And some of us are like, I ain't doing that shit. <laughs> you know, and yeah. we go back to the kitchen because we just want to work with our, our friends, the pirates and put out great food and have fun. But, you know, uh, for the most part, some people like hiding in the kitchen, but I think there's people like you and I and these other people, outspoken chefs who, you know, have that like to talk to the guests and like to have fun and like to educate and like to entertain. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's actually what the whole Food Network and all these other cooking shows are all about, are these, you know, people that really bring it to life and give you information about it, you know? So what was it like for you on that first round of Top Chef? I mean, you're thrown in. It wasn't something that you were looking to do. You were basically given and you know, they were like, fuck this, you're on the show. Come and hang yeah. out with us. You know what I mean? And now you're, what, sequestered for eight weeks? It's pretty intense, yeah. And, you know, uh, you're, I was coming from kind of a chain restaurant, right? And I'm working with people who work for our now. And, let me ask uh, you a question while, while you're on that, because I've never, I don't think I've ever asked this question. How does that come to, especially in a chain environment, you're, you're an executive chef of a restaurant, but you have a corporate exec who's over top of you who kind of, you know, hired you, put you in that position, whatever it works out to be. And now you're going to them and saying, Hey, by the way, I'm going to be gone for eight weeks. Um, they were smart businessmen and the ocean air was set up to be kind of this old school steakhouse that serves seafood, right? You know, right. a large portion of seafood, you buy the big potatoes on the side, vegetables and stuff, some composed dishes, but we had a lot of liberties. I would say probably 70% of the menu was mine to do whatever I wanted with. Right. And I gassed my menu out, you know, the standard menu had 20 entrees on it. I had 30, you know, I had, I had all these different things, different apps, different bits. I was having so much fun, had an incredible team and they knew I was a little bit out there and they had 16 restaurants at the time. And I was the only dinner only restaurant and I was number two in sales. Wow. Um, so 
they they said you need to go represent our brand on TV. Dude, that's fucking don't awesome. Lose. <laughs> don't lose. Go. Don't lose. Right. Dude, that's and, uh, awesome. it, it, what a great it, opportunity. It's a different world. They they lock you in and you lose your phone, your computer, and all that. And you know, it really changed my life. It really came down to. Uh, it gave me confidence to do and build and strive that I never would have had. You know, I, I had myself in a box. I, I was really happy with where I was at. I thought that was kind of the height of where I was going. But the fact that I got to meet all of these titans of industry at the time, um, you know, um, I was down at the South Beach Food and Wine Festival afterwards, and I was at this after party that was just really, it was like a, felt like a cartoon of Food Network and Famous Chefs. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Giada, it's Bobby, it's this one, it's this one. It's Mario. Oh, my God. I'm making toast and cheese sandwiches with Mario at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, what is going on here? And I'm like, Mario, I love you. And he's like, Brian, my kids love you. And it just blew my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's and so cool. it really kind of gives you confidence, and you get to talk to these people and see how they really took it to the next level. Um, so, you know, within a few years, I opened my first restaurant that just really took off. And did you go back, did you go back to ocean air after all of this happened and how long were you with them after? Good question. Tom Cleekio says to us, he said, all right, you little prima donnas, uh, you're all going to get a little famous right now. And he said, I've watched the first two seasons. I was on season three. He said, I've watched the first two seasons and those guys do this show, they get famous, and they immediately quit their job, and they go try to open a restaurant. Right. He said, some of you guys are not ready to open restaurants. Don't go. He said, you get one big shot. You might as well do it right. What he great said, fucking advice. Amazing advice. He said, until you can run somebody else's restaurant profitably and yeah. well-organized and, and know your budget and your this, he said, it's so much more than being a chef than just cooking a good dish on TV. Right. So... I listened to him and I went back and I worked for the ocean air for two more years. Wow. And dude. we thought their sales went up a million dollars because of my appearance on top chef. Sure. Dude, and that's because fucking... in, the old, in the olden days when I was on, there was no Netflix. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was right. none of that stuff. You know? um, and so there was, you know, 57 channels with nothing on and, Top Chef was on, and people watched it. People watched it. They watched the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry for the yawn. I apologize. It was a long night last night, but um, I got it. I mean, so then, so you're there for two fast years. Like that's years, fast forward eleven years. They asked me to come back on again. And yeah, I'd forgotten how horrible it was to get locked away and lose your phone and have to have that stress and pit in your stomach that somebody's going home every competition. And, right. you know, you can, look, you can look a fool. And, you know, I thought because it was all stars, we're going to be treated a little bit nicer, but it's right back to the grind, you know, wow. you, can work, you can work 20 hours in a day and just moving that whole thing around. And it's really intense. That's rough. I mean, and, and now let me ask you though, at this point, you know, especially going in on an all-star world, Plus, you got, you know, a lot of you guys are a lot more established than you were before. You know, you've grown up since that time frame. You have a family and a wife. And I mean, is there any opportunity for communication with your business or with your with your family? Um, You get like once a week, you get like 30 minutes on your computer with somebody sitting up producer sitting right next to you. Really? all of us are so well established. We're all going, do you think we're going to look up a recipe? I don't even like, I don't, I don't look up recipes. I create recipes. Right. I make a great dish. And then I tell somebody to write down what I just did. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, you guys, I don't know why you guys are so scared of what we might find on the internet. You know, we're so far deep into this. Do I need a bread recipe? Like, come on, really? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't try bread on this show. Um, but, uh, so, <laughs> what do you think of a jackass? So it, it, it's so funny that they're so that they're scared. We might, you know, post an Instagram that says where we're at, what's going on. They're still scared of what's happening. Um, and then you get about, you know, once a week, you get to talk to your family, but it has to be on FaceTime. Right. It has to be on their, their company, whatever endorsement phone they're using. And, uh, cameras have to be rolling. So not very really? comfortable. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Wow. And where were you shooting at that at this point? This was, we did all LA on the All Stars. 
Oh, all in LA. Nice. Well, that's not bad. We no, it was great. I was, I was like, if I get kicked off, I can walk home. <laughs> yeah. It's a quick run, right? Just down the highway. Um, that's pretty funny, man. So then. Because they, they take away your wallet. They take away everything. You can't go anywhere. You know? Really? Yeah. Now, are they, now here's the other, are you guys getting paid for this time? You don't get paid at all. Only one person gets paid. And that that's is the winner. Wow. And so, but there's a massive opportunity for your restaurant, sure. right? Oh, so 100%. now I have a restaurant. I'm just going out there to do a commercial for the restaurant. That's my, yeah. my that's my goal. Um, but some people don't have restaurants. And how much are you going to make an enforcement back of this? And, you know, I mean, if you get lucky and you sign up with somebody like Monogram or GE, you're going to do all right, you know? Right. Uh, but some of these people don't even do that. And I'm like, why did you come on the show? You know, if you don't have a product to sell, there's no point in coming on the show. Well, I think I, and what I've noticed and what I keep seeing, especially as, as all of these shows continue to move forward is, and look, I, I made a mistake as well. You know, when I left the, the reality world of that bar rescue, you know, I mean, I left restaurants and I did it not only for, for, for my, my sanity's sake, but also because I was like, all right, I'm going to chase this for a little while. I'm yeah. going to run with this for a little while. And, and what I see is, you know, the person who does one episode of something and then is saying, well, I need a manager. Where's yeah. my agent? You know, and they're, like they're doing like it. Everybody who's on, like everybody who's on chopped. Yeah, exactly. You're that's you. That's exactly right. Is it's that chopped world of, you know, well, I won chopped or I was, you know, I did diners, drive-ins and dives one time and now I am considered a celebrity chef. And I mean, it's a scary thing. I mean, it's, it's almost an, it's almost a breeding that is beginning to happen within culinary schools. You know, we're going to teach you how to be on TV next. Yeah, I think they flatten the curve now. <laughs> yeah, you know, seriously. We, nope. we, we know how hard it is out there. I'm sure you've shot a bunch of pilots like I have. Um, oh, it a, took me yeah. forty. It took me 48 years to get my own show on Food Network. Yeah, so it's so tough. It, it is. is. So tough. And they really like just to be with the same people over and over and over again. You know, there's a lot of B players on the Food Network, but uh, the A's are very few. And, yeah. Um, it's a it's a tough it's a tough racket and it's long hard hours too. People don't know how how hard it is to uh-huh. show. Well, and I, I'll tell you the one thing that I am seeing right now is the fact that Food Network has really kind of opened their mind up to newer ideas. You know, I yeah. mean, the newer ideas and different concepts for things that are coming out and and almost following a, a different form of programming. I mean, I've loved my conversations with Food Network. You know, my show, my show actually airs on uh, May 14 and 21 again. So we've got that coming back out. But it's like, you know, we're doing some other stuff and they're like, well, can you shoot some stuff on your phone? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out in the next couple of months from what it is that we've all been doing during this time frame. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm having more goddamn fun with Instagram TV than I ever have in my life. I love it. Yeah, I think yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, in your videos, though, and I told you this the other day, I absolutely love your videos for the basics. And that's what we were talking about. Yeah, they seem to, the more basic they are, the, the more traction they seem to get. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we were talking, you were, you were doing that, the, the carrots. Like, yep. and it was a one, it was a great, like, you know, it was a great video that had a tremendous amount of information, a great uh, kind of entertainment value to it at the same time. And what you're getting is carrots. That's yep. fucking awesome. It's so crazy. They love the carrots. Love yeah. those carrots. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So what's so what's going on for you kind of next? I mean, I know you're waiting to open and, and wait. Are, what, what are they saying within San Diego right now? Uh, we are allowed to open for takeout. So we're going to we're going to start with one of them and uh, Urban Sea and Encinitas. We're going to open for takeout here in a few weeks um, and see how that goes. If that goes, then we'll start moving a little bit of takeout. But we're kind of going to go high, low menu. You know, we're going to have either the, the pizzas. Um, or we're going to also do very high-end, fully composed uh, dinners for the family for two, really? four, six, eight, where it's upwards of probably like $55 a person. Um, you can buy cocktails and mason jars now. So you can buy a cocktail, you can buy a bottle of wine, you, right. pick it up, uh, you pick it up on the corner 
Um, but you know what? You can do like a really nice prime rib. You can do Blanzino. You can do a whole roasted chicken. You can do all these wow. really nice things that we've done at the restaurants because I, there's not a lot of people doing kind of them. Now, are these are these meal kits where people are going to prepare them at home, or are these prepared no, you're getting for it hot? Oh wow! You're oh, that's hot. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then we will play with maybe doing once a week where you will do like a hundred meal kits where you'll get what I'm going to cook for you on Friday night. You know, right? Because that seems to be really working well. I did on last Friday. I did. Uh, I worked with like Dell companies and stuff. I did a 200 person live Zoom class, um, and they all cooked along with me. It was so much fun. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Kayla Robeson out of Cincinnati, she's doing those right now, Sunday night dinners with friends. Yeah. And they're killing it. People absolutely love it. And, I mean, I think it's a blast, dude. I'm doing one with uh, G-Love next week, I think. And then I'm doing another one for uh, for St. Jude, what I was telling you about, what I was yep. asking you to be involved in, which I appreciate that very much. They were. I was on a conference call this morning. They were all very excited that you're going to be doing it, so. That's cool. Nice, man. Well, Brian, dude, hey, thanks, man, so much for coming on and and chilling out with us for a little while and uh, breaking it down. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, my friend. All right. Stay strong. Absolutely. So, Brian, do me a favor. Let everybody finish up with kind of how they can get in contact with you and all that good stuff. And um, when are how are you guys looking right now with Top Chef? Uh, we are in restaurant wars. This Thursday is the, the, the pinnacle, the favorite part. When I started the whole season, my goal was to make it to restaurant wars. Um, and I'm there, I'm looking good. I, I started a little, little slow for the old band coming back, but, uh, I've been on fire the last few, been at the top the last couple shows and we're heading into my favorite part of the season. And that is restaurant wars. So tune in this Thursday to Bravo. Um, it's streaming on every device possible so you can find it somewhere else. Uh, it's down to eight of us, started with 15 and you can look up Brian Malarkey anywhere or as I've known on the show as simply just Malarkey. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny every time they need a silly ass face, facial expression, it's me. So I'm kind of the Jim Carrey of the TV show. So mm-hmm. uh, I got a lot of, a lot of over the top facial expressions, but a, a lot of fun. And if you're coming up to San Diego in the near future, please be sure to check us out when we get the restaurants open up again. And send a lot of love across the whole country and the whole world. All right, Brian. Cheers, dude. Thanks. Be safe and uh, enjoy the time with your family, man. Thank you so much. Hey, dude. Brian Malarkey. There we go. Uh, I met Brian the first time out in Vegas. And, uh, you know, he's a character, man. He's just he's a great showman with what he does. He's got a tremendous amount of talent and he's got a good uh, you know, really great grasp of food. It's just a really neat thing to watch. So I can't believe I'm yawning as I'm doing an outro on Brian Malarkey. But again, I was up late last night. I don't know what it was. And it's super early this morning. So uh, for our first recording of the day. But but uh, everybody go and check out Brian Malarkey. Watch him on uh, Top Chef right now. Check him out on uh, all of his social channels. Just look him up. He's Brian Malarkey, man. He's a pretty dynamic individual and a great chef as well. And I want to thank him for coming on. So uh, that's our show for the week. Thanks to uh, everybody that helped get this whole thing together. I appreciate you guys, especially the audience who's listening to us. Hey, go over to iTunes, do whatever you guys got to do, and uh, let's get some reviews or something. Tell us what you guys think. I I don't know why I'm saying that, because, uh, but I hear every other podcast, they say that, except for like Joe Rogan, because he doesn't need them. But I think I'm supposed to say that stuff, right? Like go to iTunes and, and tell people you like us so that we can find out if you like us and make its validation for the days and hours that we take out of our lives to put these shows together for you guys. And, you know, a little validation won't hurt. You know, catch what I'm saying? Think so. Guilt works well. Um, Maggie Gagliardi, who does all of our uh, illustrations and all that. Thanks. I appreciate it. Follow her at MagsArt, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T, on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. Then we got Jerry and Jason down there radio influence you guys got an idea for a podcast call them talk to them now get it done i've introduced them to a couple people guess what they got shows on here they're doing shows with radio influence why can't you you got an idea you want to talk about uh being an arborist you maybe need a podcast you want to have a conversation about collecting bobbleheads who knows maybe you two can have a have a podcast about that hats look i know a guy i know a guy who's got a massive podcast It's called Knife Nuts Podcast. Like, what is that world? It's a podcast about knives. 
And the guy's got like a million followers. Like it's pure mayhem. We're over here busting our ass, putting a show together, talking about food and chefs. He's talking about knives. He's got like millions of people following his show. It's pretty funny. And, and he's a good dude as well. So I love it. But uh, then we got Michelle. Uh, Michelle, she's, what can I say about Michelle? She's just brilliant. Um, does, I dropped my mic again. She does uh, all of my websites and, and a lot of my promotional pieces and all that. So check her out at Techno Solution, T-E-C-K, uh, or T-E-C-H-K-N-O-W Solution. So check her out as well. Boys and girls, thank you so much for hanging out with me. If I have to tell you to wash your hands now, we got a serious, serious fucking problem. Okay, so now you've already washed your hands. You're not going to be near anybody, but just be nice to people anyway. Adios. Didn't get duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a place for my head quick fix on Radio Influence. This week, we're talking to singer, songwriter, and founder and former frontman of the band El Nino. His name is Christian Machado. After the Revolution album, sometime around maybe One Nation Underground is is kind of where I went in. I personally went into this dark hole of like, if I wasn't on tour, I wouldn't want to go outside. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave my apartment. I wasn't on hard drugs. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't even drink. I didn't even drink when I was home. This is what I thought I wanted to do because it was my way of totally compensating what was the chaos and the insecurity, the constant feeling of, of especially during those years when you were TMing, it was the constant feeling of, okay, things aren't going to get better. Things are only Mm going to get worse. That's how it felt all the time. I remember I would come home from tours and I would go into my apartment in Edgewater and then I, w- I wouldn't even leave my apartment for like three weeks. Thank God there was a corner store that I could walk to the corner. You know, get the, at the time I was smoking cigarettes, I would go get a pack of cigarettes and you know, right. Arizona iced tea or whatever. You know, but that was, yeah, but that was literally my only time out of the house was like once every couple of days I go get a pack of cigarettes and something to drink. And mm-hmm. I didn't even want to be outside. I didn't even want to see people. And not because it wasn't because the shows aren't rewarding. And, and for, for that person like you, or crew people, it has to be probably a hundred times worse than what any musician must feel. Because at least a musician has the reward of going up on stage, connecting with the fans, and then there's this, you know, overall feeling of this is why I'm doing this because the connection with these people and we connect on a musical level and the music feeds them emotionally the same way it feeds me emotionally and things like that. After that's done, if the touring life situation is bad, the musicians right back to seclusion. A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and Jerry P. Tuck can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.